Good morning. You all can have a seat. My name is Nick. Uh, I'm the teaching pastor here. Really glad that you're here uh, in the Short North Campus. Well, as, as a Mother's Day present, uh, we've decided to preach through Nahum chapter 3, uh, which is probably one of the most disgusting books in the entire Bible, or chapters in the entire Bible. Um, it just seems to happen that way. I always forget to look at Mother's Day when I'm planning for the year, and I, it just landed on the worst week. So moms, you're going to have something really interesting to talk about with your kids, hopefully. You get to talk about dead bodies and uh, nakedness and shame and throwing poop. Uh, that's what chapter three is all about. Um, I, I, you're laughing because I said poop, but it's, it's in there. Um, not, I'm not afraid. Got three kids. I'm not afraid to go there. But we are in the middle, or finishing up, the last week of Redemption Songs. This is a series that we're, where we've walked through the book of Jonah and Nahum. And, um, and, and, and I want to focus a lot of our attention today on, sort of the, on, on both of the books, on Jonah and Nahum. Kind of back up a little bit and look at the big picture of what these two books are saying to us. Um, because... Um, these two books are telling us something majorly big about who God is. And we can easily look at these books and look at all the details, and we want to do that, and we've been doing that, but we also want to zoom out and make sure we're getting the big picture as to why these books are there, why Nineveh went through all of this, why Jonah had to go to Nineveh, why Nahum wrote this letter, wrote this prophecy to uh, Nineveh, why all this was going on. And these books are trying to show us who God is, and then also, in light of that, who we are. Who we are. So, let's look at what God is saying to us in, in chapter 3, and then back up and look at the big picture. I'm only going to read uh, verses 12 through 19, um, so I don't make any mothers throw up when I talk about poop, and moms don't care about that, actually. They're used to it. Um, verses 12 through 19, chapter 3. All your fortresses are like fig trees with first ripe figs. If shaken, they fall into the mouth of the eater. Behold, your troops are women in your midst. The gates of your land are wide open to your enemies. Fire has devoured your bars. Draw water for the siege. Strengthen your forts. Go into the clay. Tread the mortar. Take hold of the brick mold. There will, be, or there, there will a fire devour you. The sword will cut you off. It will devour you like the locusts. Multiply yourselves like the locusts. Multiply like the grasshopper. You increased your merchants more than the stars of the heavens. The locust spread its wings and flies away. Your princes are like grasshoppers. Your scribes like clouds of locusts settling on the fence in a, in a day of cold. When the sun rises, they fly away. No one knows where they are. Your shepherds are asleep, O king of Assyria. Your nobles slumber. Your people are scattered on the mountains with none to gather them. There is no easing your hurt. Your wound is grievous. All who hear the news about you clap their hands over you. For upon whom has not come your unceasing evil. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now let me... Let me back up to chapter 2. Uh, last week we saw Nineveh get destroyed 
get completely crushed because of their, their wickedness of heart. Their time was finally up, and God's justice had to be served upon the Ninevites for all the, all the evil they had inflicted on other people, and most of all, the evil and the atrocity they committed towards God. Now, I'm going to unpack what that means. But see, in Jonah, in Jonah, we see the Ninevites, they repent. They repented. God just forgave them. God caused this repentance, and a few hundred years later, they backslid to be even worse than they were before. Worse than they were before, they couldn't God just couldn't let that go unnoticed. That couldn't just go unnoticed. So God destroys Nineveh in chapter 2. And then chapter 3 is some really heavy commentary on how and why and and kind of some of the gruesome details of what happened in chapter 2. You know those scenes from a movie when you're you're watching a movie and something just kind of gross or uh, just wretched happens in that scene? And then it keeps going and going and going to the point you're like, okay, that's enough. We didn't need to see all of that. You can stop, turn, just fast forward it, do something. You know, you know those, those scenes in a movie? This is kind of like what's going on in this. Chapter 2, the destruction happens, and then we get to chapter 3, and God's like, no, no, listen, I'm going to unpack a little more of this. And he calls them whores. He, he tells them he's going to expose their nakedness to the nations, show their fame. He's going to throw poop, filth. Um, everybody just wants a, I want an excuse to say poop from the stage, but that's what's being thrown. Um, everybody in the whole, uh, whole of the world is clapping because Nineveh is getting crushed. And that's what's being unpacked in this. So it keeps going. The scene keeps going to the point where everybody's like, all the readers are like, okay, that, that's, that's enough. That's enough. But God wants us to see something in this. Quite frankly, he doesn't want us just to see something in this. It's written poetry. Remember, this book is, this prophecy is written in poetry. So he wants us to feel it. You know, when you, like you feel a poem, he wants us to feel what's actually being said in this. He wants to feel what's going on. And, and, and then when we come to this, we're starting to feel it because he's going into all these detail, this, this really grotesque detail, and you're like, you're starting to feel it. Oh, that's disgusting. And you want to turn away, but God's grabbing our, whoop, grabbing our heads and pulling us and turning us. He's, he's, he's pointing us to himself. He's, he's saying to um, all of Nineveh, all of the world, and he's saying, no, 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 no. I want you to see what is happening. I want you to really know what is going on in this. Why does he do this? Because God, God is being gracious to the readers. He's being gracious to the readers, giving us insight into what life is like without Jesus, our mediator, without God interceding. He's showing us what life is like without a Savior. We can't fully understand the weight of the judgment and sin that Jesus Christ bore on the cross if we aren't willing to look at the depth of our judgment, look at the depth of our sin. God is pointing our eyes and saying, look, how bad this is. This is terrible. This is horrible. This is above and beyond worse than you thought it is. And God is pointing our our eyes to the scene and telling us, don't look away because this is on you. 
This is the weight that you all bear upon your shoulders. This is the weight that you all bear upon your own life without Christ. Without Christ. I mean, you think back up to Jonah, and God made Jonah sit on top of the mountain, and Jonah's sitting up there waiting for God to destroy Nineveh, and he's sitting there watching Nineveh repent. And he wants us to see that. He wants us to see Nineveh repent. Now he's sitting us down and he's saying, I want you to see that Nineveh, I want you to see Nineveh get destroyed. I want you to see this and feel this. This is really hard to hear, right? It's really hard for us to to process this and think, how is God causing repentance and then causing destruction? How, How is this all happening? But for those of us who are saved by the glorious work of Jesus Christ on the cross, then we look at that destruction, we look at that repentance, we look at all that's going on, and we say, that should have been me. I should have been destroyed. I should have been destroyed in that. And so I want us to step back and unpack what all of that means. I want to look I want to look at Nineveh and look at the conclusion, look at what happened to them, and I want to look at God's conclusion, what God's desire is for us, his people. All right, so, so let's get in. First, first, let's remember the story in both of these books. We have to step back, remember the story in both of these books. And that, so I put together this chart. There's a chart here, hopefully, um, of what's going on in, in, this, um, in these two books. First, we see Jonah. In, in Jonah, we see God's mercy come out. These uh, two books, Jonah and Nahum, are completely opposite. So if you've been here, you've heard like me talk about grace, grace, grace in Jonah, and then wrath, wrath, wrath in Nahum. And, and we see God's mercy and God's judgment, and they're different. But in Jonah, um, we see a disobedient prophet, Jonah, disobeying God, saying, I don't want to do this. I don't want to take this to Nineveh. I don't want to take this message. We see a nation that is starting to walk in obedience. We see deliverance. We see repentance from Nineveh. We see them being a repentant people. And in the end, we see God's will is accomplished. That's the end. Nahum, God's judgment, just a few hundred years later, we see an obedient prophet. I mean, we don't know very much about Nahum. He's not really part of the story like Jonah was because he just kind of obeyed and was sort of faded into the backdrop. We see an obedient prophet, and then we see a disobedient nation. We see destruction come upon them and this rebellion rise up in Nineveh. And in the end, what's the question? Or what's the end? God's will is accomplished. So the end The end of each of these books, the big idea is that God's will is accomplished. That's the point of these two books, that God's will is accomplished. No other book in the scriptures end with a question except for Jonah and Nahum. They end with a question, why? Because God wants us to apply this, apply and understand this into our lives He's not just ending with a statement. This is how it is. He's ending with a question because he wants us to see all that's going on in this and apply it to our own lives, apply it to who we are and how we live as readers. Again, he doesn't want us to just see the history. He he doesn't want us to to see the history behind Nineveh's prosperity and their destruction, but he wants us to see ourselves in the story. So you may not see this. You may not see this, but... 
these two books are telling you what God's will is for your life. It's probably one of the biggest questions I get, right? What is God's will for my life? How many of you ask that? All the time, I'm sure. What is God's will for my life? And this is a big question. And these two books are answering that. And so that, that means this is pretty big. This is really big. God is being obsessed in these two books. I mean, he's going to just huge extremes. That's what I want you to get. He's going to the most extremes to let you know what his will is. He's going to the extremes of causing the greatest city in the world to repent. He's going to the extreme of letting uh, or destroying the entire city, the greatest city in the entire world. He's going to these great extremes to show you two things. Listen, he wants to show you two things. One, he wants to show you that it's all about God's glory. Secondly, he's showing you your humility. How many of you obsess over the dumbest things in life? They may, they, they may not be dumb or unimportant, but God is making it loud and clear in these passages that he is really interested in his glory and your humility. He is really interested in his glory and him getting the glory and you being humbled. Now let me explain more of this. Let me unpack of what this is, God's conclusion in this. The first and primary goal of God in Jonah and Nahum is God's glory. That's the bottom line. That is the bottom line we see in Jonah. Uh, I mean, why does God call Jonah to go to Nineveh? He's, he's, Jonah is a prophet, he's a religious leader, and he is called to go to the city of Nineveh. Why? Because he thinks Jonah is a great guy, that he's got a really good resume. He's really smart, really brilliant, really winsome with his little five-word sermon. No, God doesn't care about any of that. God is trying to use and show Jonah something deep. I mean, but Jonah, he runs from God. He runs from God. He hates Nineveh, and he does everything in his power, any, everything and anything in his power to get God to ask somebody else. Get somebody else. He jumps in the water. He tries to kill himself. He does everything he can to get God to send somebody else that he's not doing it. But God wanted Jonah what? He wanted him to see his glory. He wanted Jonah to get his glory. See, Jonah's story is so much like our own. We, we're religious people who are, are fine to obey until the reality goes against what we believe. God knew that deep in Jonah's heart was this completely false obedience. False obedience. They were playing a religious system that said, I obey God by being a good prophet, by uh, being a good servant of God's people, and that's how I obey God, and therefore God loves me. So God gave Jonah a call that he didn't want. He called him into a storm. He put a storm all around him that he did not want, and he caused a great revival in the greatest city with five words that he did not want. All this he didn't want because Jonah didn't really know God's glory. He didn't know God's glory. That was the problem. That was what God was trying to show Jonah in this. 
And remember, you got to see that this is you too. He is trying to show you his glory. Then, then we look at Nineveh. Look at the city, a great and mighty city, the greatest of its day. This massive revival breaks out. And I mean, it's like New York City in our days, the biggest, most economically powerful city. They break out in revival. Everybody becomes uh, a fearer of God. I mean, from, from the king to the cattle, everybody repents, and they realize that God was in charge. They had this realization God was in charge, and when they looked at God's glory, they, they automatically knew their humility. They knew their place. They found humility. They, their pride was crushed because they knew he was glorious, and they turned to him. Then, 200 years down the line, which we look at now, back in history, and we say that 200 years is not that long. 200 years later, they lose their way and forget who forgave them. They forget. God, he is slow to anger. He is patient with us. He is gentle with us. As we saw last week, though, his anger is is damned up for a long time. And the people of Nineveh just got worse and worse and worse and actually became more evil now than they were than they used to be before they knew God. And, and God is just, and he can't withhold his justice forever. He would be an unjust God if he just ignored Nineveh and said, well, they're trying. At least they're trying, because they're not trying. They don't care. They've lost their way. They're end. They're, it's the end for them. And so God sends Nahum to prophesy their destruction, their demise. And does he do it? Because Nineveh, they were bad people. Yeah, kind of. But does he do it because they, were, they, they, they weren't praying properly? Kind of. Does he do it because uh, they were uh, people who tortured, uh, killed, raped? Yes. He destroys them for those things. But the real reason he lets his wrath go is because of what it says in verse one, or chapter 1, verse 2 in Nahum. God is jealous. Why is he jealous? Because he wanted a share of some of the loot they stole? No. God is jealous because he knows that Nineveh has lost his glory. They've left, they've betrayed that. They've gone their own way. And not only does this affect God, this affects them too. And this isn't the cheap jealousy. This isn't like high school jealousy, you know, like desperate housewives type of jealousy. This is like a jealousy that knows you are going to destroy yourself. Your life is going to be ruined because you're not giving me glory. This is, you're going your own way. You're choosing yourself over, your, over me. This is real jealousy that is good and healthy for us. And, and, and God, God's glory becomes just smashed. And that's the root. Nineveh betrayed God's glory. So we have Jonah betraying God's glory. And we have Nineveh betraying God's glory. And God's glory was just eradicated, destroyed, and pushed away, back from everything. And listen, this has everything to do with us everything to do with us. Several, um, several months ago, I, I, I had a sermon 
where I was talking about our vision for Veritas. And the vision for Veritas is that God would get glory. That's it. Why? Because as, as I started to prepare for Jonah and Nahum, that what is what God is jealous for. This is what God was passionate about. This is what he wants his church to be like. A, a church that glorifies God. Because we can have all the cool things. I said this before. We can have the chair, the buildings, two campuses, great coffee, um, really cool people, all those kinds of things, and still be a church that in the end is, is not giving God glory, and we've totally missed everything. And, and God would take us, like he takes a lot of churches, and he says, look, look at what is happening to Nineveh. That is the path you're on. That's where you're going. Look at that, because he's jealous for us. All over the Bible, and all over our hearts, we know deep in us that that is what we are made for. We are made to give God glory. We're made to give God glory. We're made to ascribe Him glory in all things. And when we don't, things get tangled up. Things get twisted up. We were made to lift Him up as Lord. We were made to sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. We were made to stand in awe of our Creator. We were made to glorify God. That's what we're here for. That is what God's will is. Yet, we take on religion to cover up his glory. We become good church boys and girls to make mom happy. We do all these things, have all these certain behaviors to uh, cover up God's glory. We cover up his glory with religious ceremonies, going to church on Sunday, being a pagan the rest of the week. We cover up his glory with a religious facade that says, I'm good. I, I'm born again. I've got all that. I did all that. But, but deep in your heart, you are just like Jonah. Just like Jonah, you're just faking it until you're going to make it. You're just thinking, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna just going to keep going through life. I'm going to be the religious person, and hopefully God will have compassion on me, and God will be gentle to me, and all these kinds of things. When God is continually saying to the religious person, like many of you, no, you are made to glorify me, or you take on a rebelliousness to cover up his glory. Some of you take on a rebelliousness of, to cover up his glory. Some of you... Some of you do that by having sex with a bunch of people. You think that that uh, rebelliousness, you're the kind of person that just says, I don't need anybody to tell me what to do because I'm real. I'm just keeping it real. You know? Or you criticize everything so much so that you can't even look at your own heart. You can't even look at your own life. You think you're edgy. And, and you, you, it's, it's cool to be rebellious. It's cool to tell it like it is or whatever. You think living for the moment um, is, is true living, but in the end, you're living for yourself. And I have not yet met a single person that I'd think, man, you, it'd be cool to live for, your, for you. <laughs> your life is just ridiculous. Why would, why would you want to live for yourself? Why would any of us want to live for ourselves? Are any of us that important? No, none of us are that important. See, you and I, we're always going to choose religion or rebellion. All of us, 
I've said this a million times, we will always naturally choose religion or rebellion. We'll always choose the road that gets us the glory and not God. We're always going to choose that road. That is our default. And Jonah and Nahum show us in the end that God must get the glory. God has to be the one that gets the glory. And when God starts getting the glory, when God gets put back on his pla- in his place, gets put back to where we can see him, we get to experience the, the wonderful gift of humility. Because none of you can look at the glory of God and say, I'm still all right. No, you're, you're just crushed and weighed down with such humility because God is so much greater than, than, than us. You know, the sign of, of a man or a woman who doesn't behold God's glory is pride. And there's, there's no repentance, and there's no repentance, there's no trust, there's no faith. Um, there is a religious or rebellious person. You, you are just saying, I got this, God, and I'm doing it on my own. And we see this in Jonah. We see it in Nineveh. There was no humility. There was no humility when God isn't seen. So God makes himself known to us. He makes himself known to us, often in ways we don't like. But once, once we behold the glory of God, we can't help but be grounded with the reality that he deserves the glory. And some of you are just super blind to how great God is. Some of you are so blind to how great he is because you have covered it up. You've covered up God's glory. You've covered up what God's will is for your life and and, and what his desire is. And so here's what I want to conclude with. God doesn't care all that much about your career, about your spouse, about who, who you pick to marry. He doesn't care about the clothes you wear, the house you live in, the car you drive. He doesn't care all that much What he does care about is, do you give him glory? I mean, God does care. He cares what you do, and he cares how you live, and what you live in, and all those kinds of things, yes. But that just pales in comparison of what he really cares about. What he genuinely, really, really, really cares about. He doesn't care about the things of the world, but what God is most concerned about is that you get him, that you get the glory. You know, are you beholding God as a uh, student or as a small business owner, as a mom? Are you beholding God's glory? God's will isn't about what job is best or where you should live. It's about God getting glory. And so many of you are just wrapped up in asking the dumb questions like, what, what should I do? They're important, Uh, what should I do with my life? Those kinds of things. When God is writing these two books to grab your head and say, look, your job is to give me glory. I don't care if you're a trash man or a CEO. I don't care if you're a student. I don't care who you're married to. If you're giving me glory in all of those things, you're going to be good. Life is going to be good for you. It may not be easy, but it's going to be good. It may not be safe, but it's going to be good. And he's constantly reminding us of that in these two books. If, if, if we can't stop and see that because 
of Jesus coming to the earth as God and man, taking on the judgment we deserve, then we have missed the, the point of everything. Jesus came as the greatest prophet to bring us all back to behold God's glory. Jesus' death on the cross is a heralding call to us, a religious and rebellious people, to come back to God. That's what these books are about. Come back to me. He's trying to scream it to Jonah. He's screaming it to Nineveh, and he's screaming it to us. That's why it ends with the question. Of, we can't leave here without seeing God. That's the whole point. Jonah and Nahum are books that show us what life is like without him. They bring forth this brutal reminder that, that in the end, God's will will be accomplished through exposure, destruction, woeful life, all of those. God's will will be accomplished. But we must remember that the gospel, the glorious truth of Jesus taking on all of that, doesn't just end with you and me. It doesn't just end with us. It has to end with God. Now remember, uh, uh, there's a beautiful picture of this in Ephesians chapter 3, where Paul, he's reflecting on the gospel, and he uh, finally cries out after a couple chapters of reflecting on the gospel, he, he, he cries out, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. And he does the same thing in Romans, 10 whole chapters, unpacking the gospel, talking about all the various facets of the gospel. And he breaks down in verse, or chapter 11, and he sings, saying, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God saying, how deep is God? How unsearchable are his judgments and how unscrutable his ways? He's talking about what's going on in Nahum, his judgment. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might repay? For from him and through him and to him are all things to him be the glory forever. Amen. The gospel doesn't stop with you. It always generates a heart of praise to glorify God. And as we've spent the last several years unpacking what the gospel is in this church, in our own lives, it's time for us to step back and see the big picture that God must get the glory. And that is where Nineveh missed it. That's where Jonah missed it. And don't you miss the fact that the gospel of Jesus Christ must lead you to worship and glorify God. So what that means, what that means for you and I is that when we sing today, we remember we're singing the glory of God. When we take communion today, we're remembering that it's because of Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection that we get to glorify God without being crushed. When you leave here, ask yourself, is the gospel, is it about you or is it about God's glory? Is it about God? Are you giving God glory? Is that the result because that is what he is screaming to Nineveh. That's what he screamed to Jonah. And that is what he is screaming to us. That's what he's screaming to us. Let's give him the glory through communion and singing. Father, we come before you to know that you are, you are great, that you are powerful and mighty, and that uh, you are 
trying to show us and tell us over and over and over again in these two books that your glory is your passion and your desire. So help us, Father, to understand and behold your glory. Help us not to just pass over this, but to feel the weight of it. And we need your help. So, Father, I pray that you would save many and that you would remind many of the gospel this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.